1: Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. And uh, we are a little over 48 hours away from Georgia and Alabama, kicking off 8 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Central on CBS. Uh, This one got weird yesterday, fellas. Uh, Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. I don't know how everything's going to play out. I guess they got some additional tests they're going to run. Um, but if if that all stands up, he won't be on the sideline Saturday. I uh, want to hit that real quick. We're going to talk about kind of our feelings and uh, about the game and how they've evolved as the week is going on. George got a five-star commitment yesterday, and Amarius Mims out of Bleckley County. Massive, massive addition to this recruiting class, and we're going to definitely have that covered. And at the end of the show, it's picks, guys. We, we got our picks. We got our scores and uh, player of the game, and we're going to jump into all that. But one thing I want to get to very first, Rusty, I've seen this on Twitter. I've seen this on Facebook. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it. And I've seen it on our board. Don't want to play Alabama if Nick Saban's not there. Don't want Alabama fans to have an excuse. Well, A, you're not guaranteed to win. And B, um, what do you think about that? I, I, I think it's probably, and I'll just go ahead and throw mine out there, I think it's probably a really silly comment to make and and a really crazy way to think of, thing, think of things because – this is not a lose-lose if Georgia beats Alabama without Nick Saban on the sideline. You go out, you play to win the game, and uh, this does nothing but help Georgia and Nick Saban on the sideline or not. What say you, Rusty?
2: It, yeah, I mean, it. listen, nobody, nobody, not us, not, I think, a real fan, um, Kirby Smart, anybody wanted this type of situation to happen. This is not something you celebrate. This is not something that, you look at and say, hey, great, that happened this week. It's, it's just not. I mean, this that's not where we are, and that's where, not where we should be as a country. On the flip side of that, this is a football game, and this could happen to anybody in this day and age. So I heard Nick Saban say last night we've had contingency plans for every coach, and I'm sure that Georgia has the same thing. If Dan Landing gets it, who calls the plays? If Todd Monken gets it, who calls the plays? If Kirby Smart is not there, who's the head coach? Alabama has went through this scenario. This is something they're going to have to deal with. Look, it's not ideal. But at the end of the day, it's 85 scholarship players for Alabama and 70 for Georgia on the travel roster uh, that are going to play inside the lines. This is elite on elite. Do I think it changes things a little bit? I do. But no one should be celebrating this. You know, I've seen a couple of posts, and I kind of just blew those things off. This is not, uh, you know, a, a victory for Georgia because Nick Saban's not going to be there. It's not good for anybody in college football, and that's what we all love. That's what we all do. So, you know, wish Coach Saban the best and hope he gets back sooner than later. And But this game is going to be played Saturday night between, between those lines and prime time. And uh, there's going to be some really, really good football players. that just, you know, you kind of, listen, I'll be honest too. There's going to be an Astrid beside it. There's going to be an Astrid beside it, especially if Georgia wins. But at the end of the day, it's a W and you move on. So, you know, it's not ideal, man. I, I thought I went round and round about this all morning. It just kind of, it just sucks. It's happened. But still, this is going to be a great football game. And at the end of the day, that's the story.
1: Yeah, and, and I, obviously it's not optimal. I mean, you want to see both teams completely healthy, you want to see both coaching staffs completely whole. Um uh, but I, I just kind of take issue with the lose-lose thing and, I, and on top of it all like okay, well, you know, if 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 this does end up having to be a game that gets pushed back to different day you don't want to shake up the season for bragging rights. You know, for for to for the opportunity to remove all doubt. Um you know, this is something that you know obviously that that uh that that open date there is there on on december wh- whenever 13th 12th whatever it is it's there for for makeup games but you may end up having more than one i mean alabama gets hit now and you have to make it up then uh then you know Georgia may get hit with one later and then it'll have to make up a game and then it, then things get pretty hairy especially if all this stuff happens after these teams take their bye week uh down the stretch november all that stuff so I just don't see the reasoning, but I just don't see the hand wringing over it. Uh, you know, if Alabama has the players to go forward and play, um, you, you play this game, you, you see who wins and you move on. And then, uh, these teams have a good chance of meeting again in Atlanta. Kid, what are you, what are your thoughts on that?
0: You know, I, I think as you pointed out at the end, that's what, that's what really matters the most. Uh, you know, if, if. This win doesn't count as a Kirby smart beating Saban. I mean, if, if Georgia wins, then, I mean, all signs point to them meeting again in Atlanta. So, I mean, that's really what's important here for both teams is to try to find a way to get through this conference schedule and get to the conference championship. So I just think you got to look at a big picture. I mean, if you want to put an asterisk on this game, win or lose, fine, but the game's still going to be played. I mean, we're, we're, in the middle of an uh, entire season, you know, that could end up having an asterisk next to it. And all you can do right now is, is handle the, you know, go with the hand you're dealt and, and keep going. I mean, we still have, you know, as of right now, two teams that are they're healthy and ready to take the field this weekend in a top five matchup. And so for me, it's, you know, you, you hope for the best as far as Nick Saban and, and be, him being healthy. I mean we we want him to come out on the other side of this being fine and you want to see football being played. I mean that's what we all want. And so I think really if you start getting, you know, nitpicking and start already putting this as, you know, not truly the game it should be, I think that's just it's selling everyone short here and it's kind of I mean you're 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 really I mean, honestly, insulting all the work that both these programs have put into the entire offseason and, and their preparation for this game. I mean, I don't think it really changes anything other than who's, you know, making the decisions. And I, I think both programs prepare for this possibility. And and I think that if anyone's going to make sure everyone on this staff knows exactly what to do, it's a person that who believes in the devils and the details. And, that, and that's exactly what Nick Saban is. So. If, I mean, if there's a program that's prepared for something like that, it is Alabama. And if you don't think Georgia's going to get Alabama's best on Saturday, then, I mean, I think you're sorely mistaken.
1: There is no doubt about it. I mean, this is going to be a game played in Tuscaloosa. They're going to have the crowd that, while not huge, uh, is is going to have an impact on the game. Guys, Alabama's coming to play. And, and you know, I fully expect Georgia to come to play. And, you know, both teams, there, there are four games in the season. There's probably some guys banged up. Um, you know, there's – there's, it, this is football, and it's the way it happens. And um, this is definitely football in 2020. Uh, you obviously didn't want Nick Saban – didn't want any coach to ever, you know, come down this because those guys tend to be um, more at risk than the players. I mean, there are no 40, 50, 60-year-old players out there. There are 40, 50, 60, and I think in Saban's case, 70, uh, or, or close to a year-old coaches. So, uh, you know, you definitely didn't want to see this happen. Um, but, it, it, you know, still – it's, it's it's about the eleven on eleven on the field, and you run a new eleven out there, and, and and you play those guys too, and you know Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt, and and just go on down the line. It doesn't matter. The best coaches in the country, the worst coaches in the country, are going to tell you it's not about coach versus coach. It's about player versus player. Lane Kiffin summed it up great last week. He said, you know, this isn't Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban. If it was, I'd love my chances. He's an older guy, so um, and I thought that was hilarious. I think he said it on game day. Uh, but but you know this this is still a huge game and um, Rusty I want to get your thoughts how have yours kind of unfolded as the week has gone along
2: well I've done a couple podcasts I did Barton's um, cover three podcast and man they got me a little bit early on a prediction and you know it's no secret that I picked Alabama in that thread I really you know when all this news broke last night I was driving home from from Cochran and uh, the Marys Mims thing and kind of thinking, you know, what does this do for this game? Now, you know, with Alabama, they certainly have a system, and, you know, it's Nick Saban's from the top. I think during the game, the actual, you know, X, X's and O's are going to be, you know, they're going to be okay with that. What you What you worry a little bit about, and I try to put myself in a player situation, when you're in that locker room and you're on that sideline, there's a sense of this guy is, is the best college football coach ever. I mean, I, I'll i say that for my opinion. And you know that he knows what he's saying. And, you know, his whatever he talks about pregame, whatever he talks about on the sideline, whatever adjustments he makes at halftime, I mean, he sees that, he knows. And I just think that there's that sense of, safety almost that we have this guy and we've always had this guy and you know no matter what coach says those kids believe in him because he's produced i mean he's won them all he's won he's multiple national championships whatever you want to say he's won all these big games the psyche of alabama is what i what i wonder and how much that affects this game because you know once they snap the ball it's going to be football but you know, what is their psyche going into the game? And what's that, the, the halftime? And, you know, if this game, if they're a little bit behind in the fourth quarter, how do they react? Because nobody's ever dealt with not having Nick Saban. Nick Saban's not going to be at the end of a phone line. He can't communicate with his team. So, you know, that's me. That's my first thought before we get into predictions later on, is what's the psyche of Alabama and how how does that affect them? Because if something happens – and say they have a pick six or they have a block punt. And you, just natural as a human, the first thing you think was, that wouldn't happen if Coach was here. You know, that's just the way things are. So, you know, I've really tried to put myself in their situation, how they're thinking, and that's the unknown right now is mentally, where would Alabama be, would Nick say, but not in pregame, not in Friday night meetings, you know, that kind of thing. Because it's unknown to all of us, including them.
1: For sure, Kip. How have your uh, how have your your thoughts on this game kind of unfolded as the week is going on?
0: It's just really interesting because obviously all we can do is kind of compare what we've seen so far this year. And when you look at Alabama's offense, and they haven't played a defense you know anywhere close to what Georgia's going to put on the field. You look at Georgia's defense. They haven't faced an offense that's near as explosive as what Alabama's going to field, you know, put on the field this the, this weekend. So you see the strength versus strength and and weakness versus weakness. I think it's I'm just looking at the line of scrimmage and how, I mean, we've said it almost every week. We I just feel like in this conference, and that's where a lot of these games are won, and we're going to see you know georgia's defensive line can they get pressure with 4 against alabama's offensive line against alex Weather, weatherwood against evan neal um you know are is georgia's offensive line going to be able to get enough push for them to not be one dimensional you know be able to run the ball and be consistent i mean that run game has has not really you know been what it was in the past as far as just really truly being a strength and, and and a focal point of the offense. And so, I mean, the line of scrimmage is, you know, it might not be the difference on the surface of this game. You know, when we really start breaking down what we think is going to happen, but I, I think that when you look at the matchups this weekend, I think really the game is going to be won right there, which one of the, Who's able to establish, you know, and impose their will along the line of scrimmage? And it's it's just really intriguing to me. Just this Alabama team's different than the ones that we've seen Georgia play in the past. I just think, you know, that defense, I mean, is it is this really what how they're gonna play all year? Or are they gonna have to win games with their offense all year? Uh it's it just kind of strikes me that that defense hasn't really had the discipline that it's had in the past. And I really, we thought when he made the announcement that he was coming back, that Dylan Moses presence right there would be that glue and that would hold everything together. And he has just not gotten back to his previous form yet. He will at some point I'd imagine, but is it going to happen this weekend? I mean, that's just something that's kind of caught my eye And, and just on the flip side, we just watched Alabama's offense have four first-rounders. I mean, quarterback, Tua, you know, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jedrick Wills, all gone, and they're out, their offense is even better this year than it was last year. It's, it's just uh, truly remarkable what they are able to do, replacing all those players, and yet still, so far, being arguably the best offense in the country.
1: it's tremendous man it really is and it's 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 very similar to george's defense because there's just experienced guys everywhere there's there's depth in in a spot in a place where you don't even read that lead need that much depth i mean they they do the receiver position i mean really john uh, mechie uh Devonte Smith and and uh, Jalen Waddle are the only three guys, only three wide receivers that that have been featured in that offense this year. You got Miller, all a tight end, and then you got the running backs who have caught passes. So, it's you know they they have depth, but they really rely on their main guys. And the offensive line is super talented. You know, losing Jedrick Wills was was a blow. And you know, I, I'll kind of get into that. I think whenever I make my pick a little bit, but in, in a little bit, but. Um, the offensive of line is still very talented, very good, very experienced, uh, you know, a couple two or three seniors up there, really good football players. Kirby Smart has taught all week about how big they are and that, you know, they talk about wearing you down and, uh, you know, used an old quote from Nick Saban, I guess when they worked together about there being weight classes in boxing for a reason, because the big guys kind of wear the little guys down and that philosophy has worked for Nick Saban. And it's really the only place where he's you know really adhered to it heavily. Um, as as time has gone on, is that size on the offensive line? They don't have that big dominant nose tackle on the other side, and the strength on strength matchup in this thing is just what's most intriguing. And and yeah, you want to try to find a way to go against the grain and and find something else, an X factor or something. But that's that's it. That's that's the a number one matchup, the one everybody's going to be watching. You know, can Georgia limit Alabama's offense, or can Alabama's offense torch Georgia's defense? And, you know, I look back. A lot of people want to talk about the LSU game, the the LSU uh, Georgia game, and the SEC championship, and how LSU scored, I think, thirty-seven points or whatever it was. Um, yeah, the offense had a big part in that because the offense struggled and probably hurt the defense defense's morale. Um, But Georgia's defense wasn't on the field the majority of time in the first half. Uh, Georgia actually had time of possession advantage at the the half. It forced a couple three-and-outs against LSU. The big factor there and and the thing that everybody needs to understand is that it was Joe Burrow's athleticism that changed that game because Georgia got free runs at him several times in the first half, could not get him on the ground. Dude caught a 15-yard pass, his own pass, um, uh, you know, so I mean, Trayvon it,
2: Walker, one on one, right? The face the dude, juked him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he—that he, was it. I don't. Obviously, nobody knows Mac Jones is a, is a decent athlete, but I don't think Mac Jones can can do that to Georgia. I think if Georgia gets those free runs at Mac Jones, it's going to convert at a higher level. But getting those runs at Mac Jones are going to be tough because that Alabama offensive line is so good. And then, you know, obviously you have to look at the weakness on weakness because while the other at matchup may be favored, this one may un- end up being the the ultimate decider is Georgia's offense coming along in Todd Monk and is this the week that it clicks for four quarters and Alabama's defense has heard how bad it is all week. And uh, um, one thing I'll point to there, and and it's something Rusty and I talked about, we are talking on the phone, I believe it was yesterday, it's tough, it is very rare, and if any team can do it, it's, it's probably a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. It's really tough to fix, to completely fix a fundamental issue like tackling in one week because Alabama was terrible at it against Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss did a lot of the stuff that they did with pace, and that kind of messed Alabama up a little bit. Alabama didn't tackle, tackle particularly well against Texas AM either. Um, so you know that's that's gonna be interesting to watch too because when you look at the defenses Alabama's fa- faced, their offenses faced over the first three games, um, you know, those defenses aren't exactly ranked highly. And a lot of that's got to do with what Alabama did to them. But you got Ole Miss last in the league and yards per play allowed at 8.79. Texas A&M is 11th in the league, giving up 7.7, uh, 6.75. And Missouri is ninth in the league at 6.26. Like I said, Alabama's numbers against them probably skewed those stats um, but Georgia's sitting there at number one at 3.7 yards per play allowed, and uh, you know that's that's been big. I, I've looked at the numbers a lot this week, and uh, I don't know that the numbers are going to tell the whole story. You're still looking at three games, and everything that Georgia has did to opponents has had a you know one has had a 33% effect on what those numbers look like. Just like what Alabama's done to opponents has had a 33% effect on what those numbers look like. They they those usually come into play a little better once you get five, six, seven games into the season, and I think you've got a better idea about it. Uh, Let's jump into the break real quick. On the other side, I want to talk about Georgia's big-time edition, five-star edition, before we get into our picks.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: All right, Rusty, straight to you, man. You were in uh, you were in the big city of Cochran, Georgia, yesterday. Georgia gets a big dude, 6'7", 315-pound offensive lineman, number six player in the country per the 24-7 sports composite. Amarius Mims uh, commits to Georgia. Massive, massive get for Matt Luke on that offensive line, and you were there, Rusty. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of talk about what went behind that decision and what it means for this class?
2: Well, I think that you know everything that we thought, everything that Kip and I wrote over the last few months was this was certainly a legit race between Georgia and Tennessee. I did ask him yesterday um, if the Georgia-Tennessee game had anything to do with it for him, and he said no, it didn't. He said he felt like that he thought that game, that's how it was going to play out. He felt like that Tennessee is a place he probably could play, uh, but he just felt that Georgia – Felt more comfortable to him. And, um, you know, I say this a lot and it's, it's not making Tennessee fans and feeling any better, but you know, the Tennessee did a hell of a job recruiting him and there's no points for second. And Georgia's that's happened to Georgia on several prospects in this cycle. So somebody finishes second, you know, it's very rare. It's a Dominic Blaylock situation where he just goes to Georgia and It's, it's a wrap. So, I just think that, you know, Matt Luke did a really good job. You know what I didn't touch on enough, uh, talking to uh, Vaughn Laster. We all know Vaughn, head coach there, who was a head coach for Jake Fromm and Trey Hill at um, Houston County. He said Scott Cochran was involved. Scott Cochran did a really good job here uh, as well uh, on this with, with Matt Luke. And, you know, um, coach, uh, coach Laster told me that he felt like Georgia – honestly did the best job recruiting him. He stayed out of it. You know, he didn't go on any of the visits with him. He didn't do any of that stuff. And uh, he just said, he felt like from every angle he saw, it felt like Georgia did a really good job. And, you know, I knew Amarius was really considering Tennessee, but I felt like the whole time Georgia was kind of the the lead behind the scenes and could Tennessee knock them off. And, um, you know, obviously they didn't, but, I just think that the the theme yesterday was relief because now he can focus on his senior season and, and listen, we've touched on it, but, you know, Brock Vandergriff was a big deal here and, and and Brock Vandergriff and, and Amarius have become really close. And Amarius is a, you know, he's a middle Georgia country boy and he likes to, likes to be outside a little bit and, you know, ride around in the the four wheelers, I think, and uh, do a little fishing. So, uh, you know, him and Brock, you know, Brock, I was in Athens. I was in Prince a couple of weeks ago, and I came in, you know, that morning and, and early and to watch Brock work out. And I walked by his truck, and he's got a big old deer stand in the back and a uh, target. You know, he's, he's, he's a country boy himself. So, you know, they have that in common. And Brock Vandergrift did a really good job here uh, hosting him multiple, multiple times and building that relationship to where um, this young man's going to play football in Georgia. And I'll tell you what. Uh, my last little comment here. When you look at how Georgia finished off the 2020 recruiting class with Van Pran, Tate Rattledge, Broderick, um, the young man from Texas, my brain just went absolutely, Lindbergh, Chad Lindbergh, and those guys. And then you look at these four, and I'll tell you this, I just got through watching Michael Morris' tape this morning. This is the best he's ever played, ever played. So I'm telling you. The 2020 and 2021 class that Georgia's put together offensive line, that thing is going to stay deep. And I'll tell you this, the guys that are coming back next year that are playing right now, they come back, they're going to have some battles on their hands because there's about to be some extremely talented guys that are second-year guys, and there's about to be some talented dudes that are going to walk on campus here in a couple couple of weeks.
1: Absolutely. Kevin, any insight on his recruitment and, and and what this means for Georgia's class going forward?
0: I mean, first off, I just have to point out the fact that Georgia just landed its highest rated offensive lineman ever. And we've been, this is the 21st year really of, you know, the internet era as far as just rating prospects. And the offensive lineman is a position that was talked about a lot at Georgia under Mark Richt. I mean, in his 15 classes, he signed one five-star in John Theus along the offensive line. And since Kirby Smart's been there, you know, assuming the Marius Mim signs with Georgia, which, again, all signs point to that, that's the sixth five-star he will have signed along the offensive line since he got to Georgia. And this will be, the, I guess, his sixth class. And just landing someone of that caliber is incredible. And we were talking, you know, about Broderick Jones in the last cycle and how he was the highest-rated offensive tackle Georgia had ever signed. He was the 13th best – as far as just the rating system goes, prospect Georgia had ever signed. And as of right now, with this current ranking, these rankings can change. We get the chance to see these guys again and see the film. But right now he'd be the number nine overall prospect Georgia had ever signed with number eight being AJ Green, number seven being Matthew Stafford. So, I mean, we're obviously talking about a truly special prospect just based on what we think his his upside is. and I mean, left tackle, I mean, they're just – they don't grow in trees. You can't find them. Every That's why his recruitment was was such an intense one and, and why it was very important for Matt Luke to have the opportunity to win him because his, his potential is really high. I mean, he's had all sorts of comparisons made, player comparisons, and those are real rough. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on these young men to live up to that. But – uh, you know six seven and a half 315 pounds he's a guy that just has elite size and length I mean his his wingspan his hands and the the way that he's built I mean few people can say they weigh 315 pounds and say they don't have bad bad body weight. He's one of those guys that can that can claim that I mean he just looks incredibly physically impressive. And is very athletic. He played defensive end as well as offensive tackle last year at Blackley County. And he gets the second level really well. He's got very quick feet. And so the one thing you're gonna want is for him to to get stronger and to get in that strength program and and just develop physically, continue to develop physically. And but based on what he shows right now, I mean, yeah, he's got a chance to be a potential 3 year starter at left tackle for Georgia. And yes, we know Broderick Jones is 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 there now and has a year up and has a lot of potential, but I mean, you do have two offensive tackle spots that you have to put people out there and I mean, we've seen that even with Georgia's recruiting putting the best five in the f- on the field means that sometimes a guy that might not be an offensive tackle at, you know, in the NFL is, is playing offensive tackle in college, just because that's your, you got to get your five best out there. we've seen Jamari Sawyer do it. We saw, you know, Isaiah Wynn do it and then continue to do it at the next level just because of his wingspan. But uh, Georgia has a chance to have true, legitimate, you know, prototypical offensive tackles starting at, at both sides for, for the near future. And, and they continued to load up on the position. And I think that's really kind of what stands out as Rusty talked about with Matt Luke, keeping the guys in the fold in the last cycle. And then with this group Georgia has right now, um, it's, it's just a, an outstanding group of guys. And I think that, you know, Micah Morris, we're also, I mean, you cannot talk about Dylan Fairchild who is extremely athletic as well with the wrestling background, 65 298 pounds he's a guy you could really kind of plug in anywhere on the offensive line and being able to get a guy like Jared Wilson back in the fold we saw we see what Solomon Kinley's doing at the NFL after being a fourth round pick being able to come in and and start immediately for the dolphins i mean Jared Wilson's another one of those guys where he he has that kind of those physical traits that you, that you love as a road grader and so th- this class right now is shaping up to to be another impressive haul and I think it's several positions offensive line obviously at the forefront I mean Georgia's filled its needs about as well as you could hope for in, in this cycle and, and that bodes well for running backs quarterbacks you know just that offense in general for the foreseeable future
1: yeah and, and if you want some perspective on how tough it is to find a prototypical offensive tackle uh Georgia's starting left tackle right now is probably 6-2 and some change uh, their starting right tackle is uh probably six four, and that's on the low end of where you want your offensive tackle to be obviously there's no height that cuts you off that from playing offensive tackle probably below unless it's below six two. Uh, but you know, you got Isaiah Wynn out there who who is as good of offensive tackle as ever played at Georgia, probably a tick behind Andrew Thomas, but um, you know played extremely well was an all-american second team all-american he was six foot two and some change finding these six seven six you know six 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 seven six five guys you know like your andrew thomas's and isaiah wilson's and 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 those types are not they, they don't grow on trees i mean i i was at a georgia function one time uh where we got a chance to talk to Kirby before and as he was addressing the crowd he he made a, a comment about how much how much of the population of the human population is six two and above. And it's very, very small. I can't remember the name, the number, but it's like 10%, 15%, something like that. So when they're walking the halls at a high school and they see a cat walking down there that's walking around that's, you know, six five, you know, 260 pounds, they they start asking about him. They don't care if he's played football. They start asking about him and want to know a little bit about him and his grades and things like that. And then they'll you know, maybe invite him to a camp or something like that. But that's how important it is to find these big human beings. And, and if you want to know how important it is on the edge, just flip on the 2007 Sugar Bowl, or I guess it was 2008 Sugar Bowl, Georgia and Hawaii. They ran out there with six three tackles with no length, and Georgia lined up in nine techniques and ran right by them all night because they couldn't reach them. And uh, you want your tackles to be long. You want them to be able to extend that edge, and 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 it allows them some margin for error. If they're a little slow getting out of their stance or they underset, they can use that length to kind of get a piece of a guy and give a quarterback an extra tick to get the ball downfield, and and all of that comes into play. Uh, let's get into picks, Rusty. Make it. Can I, can I say I got technical difficulties?
2: Uh, man, you know, I picked Alabama on the Cover 3 podcast. I picked them 30. Uh, I think 31-24. I picked it, I think, 23-17 in preseason Alabama. You know, the Saban factor really is what I'm trying to weigh going into this. And I think, Jake, you made some really good points. I think the unknown for me is how can Georgia affect Mac Jones? I mean, how can they make him uncomfortable you know, are they going to uh, with this defense? I kind of go back, and I, you know, I'm kind of a numbers guy too, and I look at the last couple of matchups of elite offenses considering versus elite defenses, and, you know, the elite offenses have won those games. You know, you look at Alabama-Clemson, you look at LSU-Alabama. Last year, 46-41, you look at, um, you know, LSU-Georgia last year and that matchup with their offense versus Georgia's defense. It's just hard to shut somebody down in today's game because of how college football is. And, you know, I just think that Alabama's going to make one more play. I just think they're going to make one more play in this game somewhere, somehow. Um, You know, I've said from the start, I think these two teams play twice. But I think this, because of Saban not being there, is going to change this game, and I'm going to stay with Alabama, but I'm going to pick this game now. I'm going to pick this game at 28-27. At, at, at I think this is going, and I know that Georgia Vans would, you know, an, another close game to Alabama, but I just think that that's going to be a difference. It's going to change a few things, and I think Georgia very well could win this game, but somewhere I just can't get past they're going to make one more play than Georgia at some point. but. Man, this is going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, Just looking at everybody, you know, talented. Can't wait to see Devontae Smith and Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes. Um, You know, I think the biggest question is who who covers Jalen Waddell? And they put him everywhere. I went back and watched two Alabama games this morning. They don't just put him in the slot. They'll stack him. They'll put him in bunt set. They'll motion him. They get him to where – he he is the best advantage for them. And he is by far, to me, the most electric player in college football. Now, Kyle Pitts is the the biggest mismatch and just a freak show. But Waddle, man, he's so fast. I think Georgia is going to have to have Tyreek Stevenson and those guys get their hands on him because he's not the biggest dude. They're going to have to get his hand their hands on him and understand they're going to give up some big plays. I think for Georgia, can they extend some drives? And can they establish some running game? I think it's going to be the key to this. But I'll say Alabama 28-27 very well could be wrong. But kind of my gut feeling on this thing is they're going to make one play more than Georgia and another uh, what should be Georgia-Alabama
1: classic. Kip, what you got?
0: Well – Um, You know, I think Rusty did a good job kind of breaking down what what could happen. I think in this game, it's going to be important for both teams to get off to a fast start in this game. I just think that you you saw what happened in Georgia versus Alabama in the past, and you saw what what happened uh, with Georgia-LSU. It's – and LSU-Alabama, to be honest. It's Georgia – Winning the early portions of the game with this quarterback matchup, which I do need to point out, I think it's incredible that we talk about how well these programs are recruiting. But this top five matchup we're about to have is going to place Mac Jones, who was a composite three-star and the number 399 overall prospect in this class. He was the number 18 pro-style quarterback against Stetson Bennett, who was a two-star in the composite and the 2,569th overall prospect in this class, and the number 104 pro-style quarterback. It's just something that we've covered a lot of quarterback commitments. Alabama's obviously gotten some big-time ones. It's just fascinating that these are the quarterbacks starting for both programs. But I do think that that could be a difference in the game because – when Georgia's defense has not been able to get to the quarterback, I mean, Alabama has had, whether Jalen Hurts and and Tua out there, guys that it's a little unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do all the time. I mean, we kind of know – I mean, Mac isn't – he's not a statue, I guess, but you know where he's going to be during the play for the most part. And so Georgia being able to get home and and, and affect him – have a huge impact in this game and i I think that the difference in the game really could be special teams you know jake Kamara, georgia's leads the country in in net punting and i think that that's something that was not a strength early on last year got better as the year went on and and now i mean to lead the country it's it's almost 48 yards and that's a huge impact. I mean, Alabama is 67th, you know, out of 76 teams in punting right now. 33 and a half yards. Now, how many times have they had the punt? You know, again, that that factors in. But at the same time, they're not getting that, that hidden yardage that Georgia's getting. And then, you know, at the same time, I think that Georgia ha- could, you know, have a big special team, a big kickoff return that has an impact in the game. And, and I honestly think that this could be – I mean, Georgia – could have uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown in this game, and that could be the difference in the game. It's just these teams are that closely matched, uh, and I, I think that at the end of the day, special teams, turnovers, those are the difference points here. And if Stetson Bennett can take care of the football, not turn the ball over, then uh, Georgia comes out of this game, same score as Rusty. I got Georgia 28-27 after picking them to win 21-20. In, in the uh, preseason, I think that you know Alabama's offense is a little bit more explosive than what I thought. But I also think that Georgia's offense is getting better every week, and I think that they're going to give them a chance to to win that game late. All right,
1: uh, it, it, here's the way I look at it, and this is this is kind of linear, and it's not the way football always pans out, but it's something that's come to my mind several times this week you look back at that 2018 game which has zero impact on this game okay is Alabama better or worse offensively I would say if it was a 10 that year or a nine it's a nine or a eight this year because I think it you know to his mobility to his raw talent I think raised the ceiling no Jerry Judy uh no Henry Ruggs Um, no Jedrick Wills I think Alabama's offense is elite but a step down from what it was that year you look at Alabama's defense from that year I think it's if it was a nine that year it's a five or a six right now and and that's just calling it bluntly Uh, Alabama doesn't have that dominant you know you look at those two games where it beat Georgia Darren Payne and Quillen Williams had a massive effect on each of those games. Uh Raquan Davis also massive effect. Uh doesn't quite have those horses up front or really in the secondary front to back. I mean it's just not as not as many guys back there. A very good player at each level, elite player in the secondary and, and Patrick Sertan Jr. And and then you've got uh yeah obviously Dylan Moses there at linebacker. I don't think he's quite back to himself, but he's still stinking good, man. He's really good. Um, I don't see the pass rush uh, on the edge like they had in those years either. Uh, Then I look at Georgia. Uh, Georgia, maybe a tick down offensively, probably on the same level um, when you consider the emergence of Kyrus Jackson. No DeAndre Swift from that 2018 game. That's a big one. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if Georgia had a running back that just scared people, that like DeAndre Swift, like Stoney Michelle, not Nick Chubb, I think this would be a little bit more of a no-brainer for me. I think this would would be a thing where I'd, I would give Georgia a great chance to win this game. Uh, I mean, I you know maybe would say Georgia should be favored in this game if it had that dynamic running back. And then Georgia's defense is better, no doubt about it. Listen, if Georgia loses DeAndre Walker, which if you want to go back to the Nick Saban thing, there's not an Alabama fan out there that is sad that they beat Georgia when DeAndre Walker went out for the fourth quarter. Okay. So, you know, Georgia lost a key player in that game, and, and and it affected the outcome of the game because Jalen Hurts started breaking contain constantly uh, after DeAndre Walker's injury. Um, but but if Georgia loses their top pass rusher, well, they've got another one. And if they lose that guy, they've got another one. And, you know, it goes four deep there when you consider Jermaine Johnson's going to be back. Uh, so I think Georgia's defense, front to back, much better than it was in 2018. Um, again, that none of that has really any effect on the game. But when I'm talking about these teams matching up, that's one thing I've kind of come back to is I don't think Alabama's quite where they were as a team then. And I think Georgia may be a little better. Now, will that equate to a win? Um, I agree with Rusty. I think Alabama's going to score 27 points. i uh, uh, I think Alabama's going to, yeah, I think Alabama's going to score 27 points. I think Georgia's going to score, uh, he, actually, you had you had Alabama at 28, didn't you, Rusty? Yeah, 28, 27. Right, yeah. I've got Georgia at 27 points, so I agree with Rusty there. Sorry. Um, but I think Alabama's going to score 24. I've got Georgia 27, 24. Um, I picked Georgia by three in the preseason, 20 to 17. I think this Alabama offense is a little better than I thought it was going to be, even though I'm really interested to see how it matches up with this Georgia defense and and you know the the fact that they're going to run all of those three receivers out there and and go with them. Uh, non-stop, but but I just I just think that that this is a game, and and it comes back to another element for me, and it's Stetson Bennett. And listen, I, I've 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 put it out there, guys. I put it out there in print last week. I I'm still a Stetson Bennett doubter, but one thing I don't doubt about him, I don't doubt is his his makeup. I don't doubt his moxie. I don't doubt his toughness and his ability to handle the moment. I think Stetson Bennett's going to go out there and expect to win this game. I think he's going to put together another uh, 200-yard passing game, his fourth straight to start his career as a starter. And, uh, well, actually third straight as a starter, fourth straight this season. And uh, and I think Georgia gets a win. Uh, I think it's going to find a way to do just enough. And uh, I, I do think Georgia's going to be able to get a little pressure on Mac Jones, but I don't think it comes until the second half. It's not going to shock me if you're looking at a 21-17, uh, you know, 20-17 to 17 Alabama lead or something like that, 17-10, because Alabama's had a lot of success in the first half. But Georgia's has been such a great second-half defense this year. It's allowed six points in three games in the second half that I think that's going to also show up as well. And my player of the game is uh, – I'm going to go from the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to say I, I've been going back and forth between Adam Anderson and Aziz Ojolari, but but I'm going to go with Aziz Ojolari. I think he's going to come up with a couple big sacks in the second half of this game, a couple sacks in big situations, maybe one on third down, and uh, I think that's going to be Georgia's player of the game. Uh, guys, that's all we got for this one. It's uh, All the talking's over now. It's time to play a football game. It's time to uh, to see number two versus number three in tuscaloosa that environment everybody and listen if you're going to get alabama and tuscaloosa this year to do it it's not going to be a packed house but it's still going to be electric it's still going to be effective i've seen a couple games at georgia already where the crowd was involved and uh, and and they affect the opponent and alabama's crowd's going to affect it but we'll see how it goes we've made our picks everything's down and uh we'll catch you guys next week to talk about or actually on sunday uh, we'll catch you guys to talk about how it all went and break it all down for you. But for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell from the same place. And you guys take it easy.